ended last time talking about Barton W. Stone, Barton Warren Stone, how he had grown up during the time of the Revolution. He wasn't that interested in religious matters, spiritual things. Uh, particularly when uh, he began to see the battles waged between the uh, uh, the Methodist and Baptist denominations as opposed to the Episcopalian denominations, and it kind of turned him off a little bit. And that happens, doesn't it? That happens in the world uh, uh, when uh, people who profess Christ don't behave properly, uh, even uh, in their disagreements. When we have disagreements, we still have to disagree properly, right? We're not always going to agree with each other. Now, we're not talking about <clears throat> doctrinal matters. Obviously, we have to stand up against error, but then we have to do that uh, appropriately as well. And uh, we may need to put Jeff on the prayer list. He's going to be in some kind of trouble here after a while, I'm telling you. <laughs> but anyway, even when we disagree with people who teach error, we have to do it uh, uh properly don't we what was it paul said you teach the truth in love right and uh, i was just speaking with someone the other day and uh, uh, we mentioned this idea that i think a lot of times people believe that those who are in disagreement with them uh spiritually speaking they they act as if they're wrong they know they're wrong they're doing it on purpose well that's not the case for the most part i think that uh, the average member of any particular organization is sincere in their beliefs. That doesn't make them, make them right. I do, though, at the same time believe that the hierarchy in any organization, particularly those who claim to have miraculous abilities or latter-day revelation or things like that, they, uh, they understand that's not correct. I don't believe for a second that they believe they can perform a miracle. I don't see anybody down at the graveyard. I don't see any of them hanging out at the hospital. I don't see any of them doing things that we read about in the Bible that is a miracle, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, I think they know better. But uh, when we disagree among brethren on things of opinion, we have to do it uh, as Christian uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't we? And uh, we have to understand that not always... Uh, the personal opinion or the personal desires are always the way it goes. I think it's like that in life, right? You may go uh, uh, to work, and uh, I used to work uh, at a place where we had had monthly meetings, or, or I don't remember if it was monthly or quarterly or whatever it was, and uh, the, the owner would, would take suggestions and listen to the, the gripes and the complaints and... Uh, uh, you know, people spend a lot of time explaining certain things the way they saw it. Guess how much of that translated? Well, none, you know. But, uh, you know, we still had a job and we still wanted to work there. And, you know, it's better than uh, not having one. But anyway, uh, you know, we don't always get what we want. And so, but... The whole idea is Barton Stone was seeing this this battle going on between different denominational groups, and he just didn't like the way they participated and interacted with each other because they weren't being uh, behaving as those who claimed to be Christians. And so, you know, I think that's a lesson for us today. We need to keep those things in mind. At any rate, he continued. He grew up. He went to school, and uh, he became interested in... Uh, uh, religious matters, and he uh, listened to a man by the name of McGreedy, I believe the name was, and 
And so he decided he'd join the Presbyterian church. And after a while he wanted to preach. And so then he made his application to be an ordained preacher within that Presbyterian church. And we ended on the idea that he passed the the necessary requirements. He had to... Uh, he was given a passage he had to uh, preach a sermon on. And then he had to write a, a thesis on the three personhood of the Godhead, uh, the Trinity. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with using that terminology. It's not found in the Bible, but it just simply means three. Three composition of the one God. So anyway, uh, he stood uh, before the uh, Presbytery. And uh, in the spring of 1796, he, uh, or the the, uh, the fall of 1795, he was granted uh, his uh, ability to be a preacher, but then he could not receive his license for six months, and he did that in 1796. And uh, in 1796, he stood and he was questioned on if he upheld the... Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, okay? Now remember, he had six months, and we ended on this thought here. He had six months to consider that Westminster Confession of Faith. And as he considered that Confession of Faith, he saw some problems in it. And uh, he hadn't really moved to the point where he was uh, understanding it in the proper way to where he said, now wait a minute, we need to stand up against this. And he was getting there. And so when he stood before the Presbytery, they asked him the question, if uh, if he held to the beliefs of that Westminster Confession of Faith, and his statement was, I do in as much as it is in alignment with the Bible. They accepted that, he accepted it, and it kind of gave everybody an opportunity to have a clear conscience, and so he went on carried on with his work. So, uh, having acquired his license... Stone went into eastern North Carolina to do mission work in the wilderness. But, as happens with a lot of missionaries, you get away from home, not a whole lot of people you can identify with. He's out in the wilderness, uh, very different from what he was used to. And so it wasn't long until he became discouraged. Now that happens in missionaries, particularly those who go overseas. They go into a culture that is vastly different. They go into this cultural shock, you know. Uh, you go to a place that <clears throat> you've never been, and it's 180 degrees opposite and different than what you're used to. I can remember the first time I ever went to India. We went into a city, and it was just so many people. I just, I'd been to New York City. I'd never been anywhere that was uh, as uh, populated as the parts of India where I was... Uh, in Dendigal of, of uh, south, uh, southern India, land-wise, about the size of Cookville, Tennessee. Y'all know where Cookville is, probably been there. And I don't know what the population of Cookville is. 30,000, I don't know, 40,000. About 3 million in Dendigal. That same space of, uh, of uh, land mass. And so that was, that was something that was a little difficult to grasp. Uh, first time I was in Indonesia on a Sunday, we uh, were going to services and we were going down the road. They had all the roads blocked off and as far as you could see in uh, southern Sumatra on, on the, the road where we were in that city were Muslims 
in their white garb, knelt down as far as you could see. Now, let's tell you, that's a little unnerving. It's a little unnerving to see these adherents to Islam. And then you see all the things going on in the world. And here we are, a load of Christians going somewhere. Now, what normally happens to Christians if they're surrounded by that many Muslims? Well, you ain't going to live very long. You're not going to live very long. And Indonesia is the most uh, uh, populated Muslim nation in the world. There are more Muslims in Indonesia than for that for their population is like eighty seven percent, and so that's a little bit of a culture shock, and and you can become discouraged. And so Barton Stone got over to North Carolina in the wilderness. He became discouraged even to the point where he thought maybe I've made a mistake, maybe I ought to go into a to another line of work. Do you think preachers do that today? Someone told me one time, I've never really felt this way. I've been a little discouraged before, but uh, someone told me one time, said, I quit every Monday. I quit every Monday. And then every time uh, Wednesday or Thursday rolls around, I'm back I'm back in the saddle again. Now, I, I think that maybe is a little extreme. I don't know why people feel that way. I, well, I understand. We expect more out of each other, right? We expect more out of Christians. But at any rate, he uh, he became discouraged. And uh, he uh, uh, decided that he'd just move back to Virginia. He moved to Wytheville. He located a Presbyterian meeting house, and it was called Grimes Meeting House. On May the 5th, 1796, he spoke there, and the response was overwhelming. They loved his preaching. They responded to his message. Now, remember, we're going to get into this in a little while. His message didn't exactly fit what the Presbyterians wanted him to preach. At any rate, the, the response was overwhelming. And so they pleaded with him to stay, and he decided to stay. Who does that kind of sound uh, like? Who, who are we reminded of when we read about someone going somewhere and preaching and the people begging them to stay with them? Kind of like the apostles, isn't it? And I'm not comparing... Barton Stone to the apostles, but I'm talking about what a message can do for you. Now, he wasn't preaching the gospel message, but he certainly wasn't preaching that Presbyterian doctrine. He was working his way out of it. And so, we read about Paul going somewhere and all those accounts of conversion in the, in the book of Acts and what do people always plead with him to do after, after he uh, uh, preaches to them and they obey the gospel? Stay with us. Stay with us. Peter, same thing. He goes to Cornelius. They obey the gospel. They want him to stay. Why? Why Why do they want that? They're starving to death for the gospel. They're hearing something they'd never heard before. And so as that's what Barton Stone was doing. Now, he was again, he wasn't preaching the gospel, but he was working his way out of Presbyterianism, and he certainly was preaching something that was not exactly like what they were used to hearing. And so it began to open up something in them that they just wanted more. What do they always say? What should a speaker or, or, or uh, you know, someone like that do? Leave you wanting more, right? Don't drone you into the ground and can't wait for you to stop. Leave people wanting more. And uh, so, but that's what the gospel does. The gospel to the to the open-minded individual. Leaves you wanting more. It's so refreshing to uh, hear something that is logical, that is reliable, and you can read it for yourself 
that it is true. And so that's what happened to him. And so he stayed on there until uh, uh, July. He didn't stay that long, a couple of months. But then he moved on from there to Fort Chiswell, which was right on the frontier. And it was the place where all the wagon trains came through headed west. So he was in a place where he would come across a lot of people, uh, which is is uh, where you want to be, right? If you're preaching the gospel, and that's what he thought he was doing. So he wanted to be somewhere where he felt like he could be uh, most effective. So after a while, he was encouraged to move west. And so now Barton Stone's life kind of crosses into our area of the of the world. He moved from there to Knoxville, Tennessee. And so he's just right up the road from where we are today. And uh, he didn't stay there, but he was there for a little while. And he moved on uh, over toward Nashville around uh, by the Cumberland River, toward the Cumberland River. And uh, But on his way in that direction, he came to a place that we know well, Campbell Station. You go to Knoxville, there's Campbell Station Road. That's about 15 miles out of out of Knoxville, west of that was, uh, uh, have you ever heard of the Badlands? You go out west, I know that Joe and Ruth and Kathy, a lot of those have gone out west. I went through the bad. Now, the Badlands, I'm familiar with, where is that, South Dakota? South Dakota? Well, not at this time. The Badlands were just west of Campbell Station Road up in Knoxville, Tennessee, because it was wilderness, Okay where the Cherokee Nation was. And uh, uh, the route from Campbell Station Road went through West Point, 25 miles from that point, and it was at the junction of the Holston and the Clinch Rivers. We are very familiar with those landmarks, and of course that's up around present-day Kingston, Tennessee. Uh, from there, he went to Bledsoe's Lick in Sumner, Tennessee. Sumner County, Tennessee, and uh, that's about uh, about 120 miles south of Gallatin, which is, that's north of, or let's see, what is that? It's uh, north of Nashville, right? Gallatin, north of Nashville. So he's spending a little time in our area. And uh, so as he, as he traveled, he did so, always kind of being threatened with the danger of uh, the American Indian. You know, making that push going west. Indians didn't particularly appreciate that for a lot of good reasons, I guess. But uh, he came to Nashville, and it's so funny. Nashville, of course, the capital of Tennessee, uh, second most populous city in the state behind Memphis. They're pretty close in number now, but uh, that's uh, the whole of the metropolitan Nashville area as opposed to the city of Memphis. But he wrote later on in his memoirs, he said that, uh, speaking of Nashville, he said uh, it was a poor little village, hardly worth notice. We've come a long way, haven't we, from the days of Barton W. Stone. But he wasn't going to stay in Tennessee for long. Uh, He had a friend by the name of John Anderson, uh, not the singer, but uh, he told Stone about the state of Kentucky. Now, that's where Barton Stone did his greatest works, in Kentucky. And so he made plans to move uh, near uh, Lexington, and he did that. And he uh, went there where another one of his friends by the name of John Blythe 
was living. And so now he's in Kentucky, and he's going to start making a huge impact. Any comments or questions? Uh, at that time, a Presbyterian preacher by the name of Robert Finlay, F-I-N-L-A-Y, had moved into Lexington uh, area of Kentucky shortly before he got there. Now, here is a place where the, the restoration movement was really born. A place called Paris, Kentucky. Paris, Kentucky is uh, three or four counties or two or three counties south of Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, Paris, Kentucky is uh, about, let's see, about a quarter of a mile west of the Cane Ridge Meeting House. Now that's a place that is the place where the restoration movement was born, okay, at Cane Ridge, uh, Kentucky. We can go to Cane Ridge, Kentucky today, and they have the largest one-room cabin in the country. That was a church building. You can go there and stand in the same pulpit Barton Stone stood in, along with Raccoon John Smith and, and, and uh, uh, Alexander Campbell. And it's really an amazing trip if you get an opportunity to go up to Cane Ridge and look at some of the things that they have preserved for us. To preserve that one-room log building, they built a huge stone house around it. And the property belongs to the disciples of Christ. Of course, out of the restoration movement, or following that restoration movement, not long, that movement broke into three factions. You had the disciples of Christ, you had the Christian church, and you had the church of Christ. Okay, but this is where we are right now up in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, Paris, Kentucky, where all of that happened. And so uh, in that place, this man, Robert Finley, trained about 10 or 12 Presbyterian preachers. But the problem was that uh, Finley was a kind of an obstinate man. He didn't follow the rules. And ultimately what happened... Uh, he was deposed by the Synod for insubordination on October 6, 1796. He didn't uh, have in their mind the proper attitude toward authority. But the problem was he was teaching some things they didn't go along with. Barton Stone's going to be in danger of that. Or, or at that time, he was going to be in danger of that very same thing. Uh, if you went against the Synod, if you went against the council or the presbytery, you found yourself in trouble in a hurry. And so that's what happened with Finley. So Finley was kicked out. He was gone. And uh, uh, ten miles north of that place in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, Barton Stone preached there, and he preached there regularly for two years. And uh, during that time, he had received his license, but he had not yet become ordained. Okay, you had to do that in another process. Now, I find that, Kind of interesting. Uh, what's the Bible tell us about becoming a Christian? Well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Plan of salvation, we all know what that is. It's set forth to us in the Scripture. We can cite the, the steps of salvation. We can cite the, uh, the process of maintaining that salvation. But it takes a whole lot more 
to be a Presbyterian preacher than it does to be a Christian. What does a gospel preacher have to be in order to be a, a, a preacher? Or uh, what does a, a Christian have to be in order to be a gospel preacher? Not very many things they have to do. Number one, you have to be a brother, right? You can't, we don't, uh, the Bible doesn't authorize uh, sisters preaching in mixed groups, right? Uh, sisters can preach to other sisters, no doubt about it. But they can't be uh, evangelists publicly where you have men and women combined. But all you have to be, aside from that, is faithful, right? You have to be faithful. You have to teach the truth. That ain't how it is with the Presbyterian denomination. Not how it is with any of these other denominations that we've been speaking about. They had to go through this long process. Uh, after uh, Barton Stone received his... Uh, License, he preached for two years, he still wasn't ordained. You know, but who's doing the ordaining? Well, that Presbyterian Synod, right, the, the, the Presbytery. And why would that be? What, what, what do you think had to happen for Barton Stone to be able to become ordained? Do you think it might have cost him some money? Certainly, sure it did. You know, kind of a money grab. But, uh, the thought of his ordination began to cause him to study and to think any more, uh, much more about this Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith is a Reformed Confession of Faith. They didn't come up with it on their own. It was drawn up by the 1646 Westminster Assembly as part of the Westminster Standards to be a confession of what church would you think? Church of England. That's where all this came from. Remember, let's keep our history intact. You had the church, you had the falling away. Then you had the Reformation because the Catholic Church had come into being, had really come into power. And so you spent all this time with people trying to fight their way out of the Catholic Church, trying to reform it. They couldn't do it, so they got away from it. King Henry VIII established the legal church for England, the Church of England. And so, uh, and from the Church of England, you had all these Protestant movements because they were having similar problems, right? And so you had the uh, uh, Episcopal Methodists, you had the Presbyterians, you had the Baptists, you had uh, all of these different organizations. And so you can trace their system all the way back to the Church of England. And uh, uh, now, it became and remains the subordinate standard in the Church of Scotland and has been influential within the Presbyterian Church worldwide. Now, Brother Job uh, asked a, a good question. Where did this Presbyterianism begin? And then I was speaking with Sister Sanders. She, she found the... Uh, the answer for us, it began in the Church of Scotland. That's where Presbyterianism came from. And when it came to the United States, it came because you had these Scottish immigrants coming. And, uh, of course, it made a, uh, made a foothold over in England and different parts. And finally, it came to the United States. And it, as it evolved and, and was changed and manipulated, it became the Presbyterian Church. Now, there are different offshoots of Presbyterianism. Around 1936, there became a uh, 
a group of the Presbyterian Church that became upset with the modernization of the Presbyterian Church. They thought they were too progressive, so they became the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And, uh, you know, there are just a multitude, a multitude of that. And so, as Barton Stone began to consider this, uh, uh, Westminster, Westminster, England, that's where the Confession of Faith was, uh, was born. As he began to consider the Westminster, uh, Confession of Faith, uh, he was, uh, kind of trying to determine what he believed, and in 1798, the Presbytery met at Cane Ridge, and again, he was asked, do you receive and adopt the confession of faith as containing the system of doctrine as taught in the Bible? What's the answer to that? No. That's the answer, isn't it? But that wasn't really Stone's reply. Remember, Stone, along with these other men, they're working their way and clawing their way out of darkness. That's a very difficult task. We look at it now in hindsight and we think, what are you doing? It's very plain. How many of us in here came out of denominationalism? Was it super easy and plain when you first heard the gospel? Well, not normally, right? Did you ever disagree with people who try to teach you the gospel, Clay? You, you fought against it and you said, no, nah, I don't believe that. So, but you had people to help you, right? You had people bring you along, answer some questions. And because, you you know, those of us who came out of, I didn't come out of denominationalism. I come out of nothing. I wasn't anything. That's probably a little easier, isn't it? You don't really have any baggage with you. And so, these men didn't have that aid. They were coming out of this on their own. Now, you can come out of error on your own. All you need is the gospel. But isn't it so much easier when you have someone explaining it to you and showing you and writing some statements in the Bible that are very clear and plain? A lot easier, isn't it? And so, uh, Barton Stone's answer wasn't no. He fell back on what he had said two years earlier. He said, I do as far as it is in alignment with the Bible. I accept that. And so made everybody happy again. Everybody left with a clear conscience. But what was clear was that Stone's respect for the Bible was growing and growing and growing. He was moving away from this confession of faith, this creed, and he wanted to move toward what the Bible said and uh, his... His respect for human creeds was decreasing. He wasn't at the truth yet, but he certainly was headed in the right direction. Any comments, questions, statements? I can't be that thorough. Anyway, at the turn of the century, Kentucky was on the verge of this great revival. And Barton Stone said he could feel it going to happen. And he could see in his mind what he thought were people being interested. Remember, he preached, he was teaching things that weren't in exactly accord with this Westminster Confession of Faith. And so he felt like uh, uh, things were going to happen. Now, one of the things which, which led him to this belief was, again, this man named James McGreedy, 
who had influenced Stone so much as a student at Caldwell's School. Now remember, he went to Caldwell School. James McCready came in and was was preaching, and he was he was going to leave school, go somewhere else, and the big storm came, and so he went with his roommate and listened to McGreedy, and that weighed upon him. So he held McGreedy as someone who was a great influence in his life. And so uh, uh, this McGreedy began to work in Logan County, Kentucky. Of course, he was well known for his preaching ability. Now, here's what it said of McGreedy. It said, he could dangle people over the fires of hell, causing great anxiety. But that kind of preaching concerned Alexander Stone. Why do you think maybe that concerned Alexander Stone? The Westminster Confession of Faith built wholly upon Calvinism. Remember, John Calvin was part of that Reformation movement. And if you are dangling people over the the the, the fires of hell and you become anxious about that and worried about that, what's that say about Calvinism? Well, first of all, Calvinism says you're totally hereditarily depraved, right? Uh, you cannot do one good thing without God making you do it. And so what's that say about people who just from hearing statements from the Bible begun, become concerned with their eternal salvation? Well, that's a whole apart whole and apart from what Calvinism teaches, doesn't it? So Barton Stone became, became concerned about that kind of preaching. And uh, uh, if someone did not have the ability to believe if Calvinism is true, totally depraved, inherited that depravity, how could you even come to the, any kind of an understanding simply based on what the Bible said? So I see how that how that uh, uh, bothered him, and that went on bothering him for for a few years. Notice that he didn't just immediately say, "Wait a minute, that can't be right." Here's what the Bible says: McGreedy's preaching this over here in in uh, uh, Kentucky. Well, again, he's coming out of this on his own. He's having to to calculate this thing. He's having to let it percolate a little bit, right? He's having to to discern his way and reason his way out of that error. And thank God for him, because he maintained his resolution, and he did just that. So, uh, things began to change a little bit for him. Around 1800, he began to see what he felt like was apathy around, uh, among the people in Cane Ridge. Just a disregard for uh, uh, things religious, things spiritual in nature. And uh, so uh, uh, he decided that he was going to go over to Virginia and Carolina for a little while. He did that. He came back in 1801. He went to uh, listen to McGrady preach again. And he went to one of those revivals. And while at that revival in 1801, now we're on the cusp of what was known as the Great Revival. He was given an opportunity to preach. And when he was given that opportunity to preach, here's what he preached. Now let's see how this lines up with what his organization preached. The universality of the gospel. Does that match Calvinistic doctrine? The universality. That means everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel. 
Well, that's not what Calvinism teaches, right? Only the elect, those who God chose. And on top of that, he says, to be saved, you have to have faith, and it is absolutely necessary. Now, how do you get faith? Anyone who reads the Bible would say, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. What does Calvinistic doctrine say? God makes you have faith directly. A direct operation of the Holy Spirit. So he preached that. How do you think that went over? Didn't go over too good. How do you think the people received it though? They loved it. So, uh, this got him geared up again. Now, he had a few things to take care of before he could go full bore into this revival. He had to go back to Virginia. He had to go back to Virginia for a very important reason. And on July the 2nd, 1801, he went back and married a little girl over there. That's why he went in the first place. He had met this girl. Her name was Campbell. Her father was uh, Colonel William Campbell. And uh, just as soon as that wedding was over, he went back to Cane Ridge, Kentucky, and he began his work on this revival. But he had some uh, some problems after that. And uh, But on Sunday of August 1801, the Great Revival started in uh, a few just right outside of Paris, Kentucky. There are less than uh, 10,000 people living in Paris, Kentucky today. There would have been less lived in there then. How many people do you think came to this revival? Estimates anywhere from 20 to 30,000. Carriages, uh, horse-drawn wagons, people all over the place on that little ridge outside of Paris, Kentucky, called Cane Ridge, and they were there because they were thirsting to hear the gospel. And so maybe people weren't as apathetic as he thought so. And so that great uh, revival of 18-1 began at that point, and boy, did some things happen. Some wonderful things happened. Uh, we're going to read about uh, the uh, emotionalism of uh, denominationalism. We're going to read a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the, the great stand that, that Barton W. Stone finally made to uh, uh, establish his faith in the Bible. And there were some problems that arose from that. But he persevered. He went right through, and, and, and we benefited from his actions for sure. Any comments, questions? All right, I hate to end there, but we're going to have to. Thank you so much.